my guys, let's stand up and worship today.
great way to open up the day and it really is is that the heartbeat of that song is that when we pursue God the best is yet to come extraordinary things are able to happen and so you actually all can take a seat and that is what our hope that is what our prayer is for us as a community as we head into 2019 and my name is Andrew and I'm so thankful that you are here for those of you who are watching via stream grateful that you joined us as well and how many of you had a great Christmas a couple days ago Fantastic. Great. Glad you guys are energized. Hopefully you feel refreshed. You've been able to decompress off of the craziness and the insanity or maybe the peace that was Christmas. I have no idea how your Christmas was, but I hope, I'm glad it was fantastic. But as 2019 is just two days away, today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about priorities and how when we keep first things first, extraordinary things are able to happen. And so that's where we're headed today. But starting next week, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series titled The Road Home. And so we'd love for you to check out this video to learn more. A home can be filled with great memories and feelings, a sense of belonging, love, and where the most important relationships are formed. But at times, the home can also stir up other memories, too many rules, being controlled, or feeling like you don't fit in. A person's experience with church can be similar, having all sorts of complicated emotions. We believe the church should be a place where you matter and differences are celebrated. A place where family can be found, serving each other is the norm, and where you can discover a God who loves you unconditionally. We are inviting you back this January to go on an incredible journey with us as we find out what belonging is all about. Make 2019 a year that makes a difference as we journey together on the road home. And so starting next week, we're going to be beginning a conversation as to what would the church look like if everyone could call it home, if everyone could belong, not just some people, but everyone. What would the church look like or what would it have to look like? And so that's what we're going to be starting next week. And so we'd love for you not only to come, but also invite somebody to come alongside of you and with you as well. Also, on January 18th, I want to let you know about a date night that's going to be happening. And something that I know about marriage is that everyone who enters into marriage, every single person enters into it with expectations. But oftentimes, our experience doesn't necessarily match those expectations, and there ends up being a gap between the two. And so on this date night, what we're going to do is we're going to provide uh, people with tools and provide all of us with tools as to how we can minimize and close that gap. And we're going to be hearing from Dave and Ann Wilson, who are two of our co-founders here at Kensington, and they always present powerful truths in a very relevant as well as a funny manner. 
and there's going to be dessert and dancing as well. And so we'd love for you to come on the evening of January 18th. And to learn more, all you have to do is go to our website or you can go to our app as well. Also, the following weekend on January 26th and 27th, we're going to be having baptisms at all of our services. And if you've never experienced a baptism service, we want to invite you to come back for that because it is powerful. And what baptism is, is there's nothing magical that happens in the water. But baptism is an external symbol of an internal reality. Just like a wedding ring, when we get married, is an external symbol of the fact that we have made a lifelong commitment to this other person. What baptism is, it's an external symbol of going in and out of the water. It's an external symbol that we have made a commitment to follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. And so if you want to find out more or if you want to literally take the plunge, all you have to do, you can sign up and find out more on our app or you can go to our website, kensingtonchurch.org forward slash baptism. And so on that note, let's all stand up, say hello to somebody next to us, ask them if they've made a New Year's resolution this year. time of the year is a special time of the year because we have moved past Christmas, but we're not quite yet to the new year. And so this week, every year is a time where myself, as well as probably many of you, we spend a few moments just trying to decompress. And it tends to be a little bit quieter. So with many of us, we spend a few moments looking back and reflecting on everything that has happened in the past year. We think about the great things that have happened, some of the difficult things that have happened, and probably many of the things in between. But it's not only an opportunity for us to look back and remember, it's also an opportunity for us to look forward and to hope and to dream and to think about what could be and what might be in 2019. And something that I know, and of course, none of us know exactly what is, what's going to happen in the coming year, but something that I know about every single one of us here, as well as all of you who are watching on stream, is that we want 2019 to be an incredible year, right? None of us go into 2019 going, I want it to be the most painful and miserable year ever. Nobody thinks that. And so that's how we want the new year to be. And so today we're going to be talking about what every single one of us can do to, so that we can experience greater joy, greater fulfillment, and greater satisfaction in the new year. And as we were thinking about today, and as we were talking about this day a couple of weeks ago, we heard a song from our very own Maggie Youngs. And Maggie is here. Can we give her a huge hand? Awesome. And so Maggie was an intern with us last year, and we heard one of her songs that she wrote this past semester while she was at college. And when we heard it, we thought it fit perfectly with where we're headed in the day. And so Maggie is going to sing this song for us. And as she does, let's take it in. Let's listen to the lyrics and just really allow it to speak to you. Clear my mind from 
distractions that consume me all the time from the enemy and all his twisted lies clear my mind cause it's so easy to get caught up in comparison thinking of the places that I could be and have been and miss what you're doing miss what you're doing so fix my eyes, fix my eyes As I walk with you and we take one step at a time Fix my eyes, fix my eyes As I walk into all of your surprise Fix my eyes so I'm not blind to what you're doing all around You have children hurting, longing to be found Longing to be found You were on the streets with those that no one else would greet You humbled yourself as you bowed down and watched their feet And I just want to see who you'd see So fix my eyes Fix my eyes as I walk with you and we take one step at a time. Fix my eyes, fix my eyes as I walk into all of your surprise. Such a great song. And as I was thinking, as listening to that song while I was standing over there, it just reminded me that in my life and probably in every single one of our lives, there are so many things that distract us from Jesus, that cause us, that tempt us to look in all of these different directions. And as we heard in the song, when that happens, we lose sight 
of what Jesus is trying to do, not only in our lives and through our lives, but also around us as well. And so that reminder, I thought was a perfect reminder for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to keep first things first, especially as we're heading into a new year. And we're only two days away from 2019. And I don't know how your year has been, but it seems like 2018 for me just went by like that. And it just went by, and I felt like I was just saying, hey, happy 2018. And now we're saying, I'm getting ready at least to say happy 2019. And every single year, right about this time of the year, there are a lot of people in this country who are making New Year's resolutions. And so just by a quick show of hands, how many of you are planning to make a New Year's resolution? Just put your hand up really, really high. Awesome. So quite a few of you. And I was thinking this past week about, and there's somebody right here, you're going to make a New Year's resolution. Or he's just really, he's sleeping. And that works as well. And that's fantastic. I've I've been known to have that effect on people. But... But this past week, I was thinking about some of the funniest New Year's resolutions that I've come across in recent years. And I remember several years ago, one guy tweeted out that his New Year's resolution was to love himself just like Kanye loves himself. (laughs) And when I read that, I was thinking, that's a lot of self-love. I don't know if you can actually make it there, but hey, you, you know what, you can always try. I also remember several years ago, I was at a New Year's party, and I was talking to a stay-at-home dad who had several young children at home, and he told me that his New Year's resolution, very lofty goal, and you understand this if you have had young children or if you have young children, but he told me that his New Year's resolution was to try to go to the bathroom by himself. (laughs) Just once, he said, because... You try to lock that door and somehow still, they still make it in. I don't understand. They have a key or something like that. But that was his goal. I also read one New Year's resolution from a seven-year-old boy this past week. And he said that his New Year's resolution was to try to stop picking his nose. But he also recognized, he he also said, I know it's going to be really hard to do. I know it's just, it's just going to be really hard to do. And that's because he understood that, you know what? Habits die hard. Habits are hard to break. And according to the Washington Post, 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. But you know what the tragic part is? The success rate is only 8%, which means that 92% of people in this country who make a New Year's resolution, they fail or they fail to achieve their goal, which is really sad. But still, we still make New Year's resolutions every single year because we view this time as an opportunity to make needed and necessary changes in our lives, to try to reprioritize our lives and to really try to keep, and really try to put first things first, to stop neglecting our physical and emotional health, to stop neglecting our relational or spiritual health and try to make these things a greater priority. And for every single one of us here in this room, we understand the importance of priorities. And I remember in Stephen Covey's best-selling book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he cited an essay that was written by a man named E.M. Gray. And Gray spent a huge portion of his life trying to figure out the one common denominator that was shared by all successful people. And after a lot of research, after, a lot of dev- after devoting a ton of time into his work, he found that the one common denominator shared by all successful people wasn't good luck, It wasn't great relationships. It wasn't even hard work, if you can believe it. Although all of these things were important. But what the one common denominator was, was having their priorities in order. Keeping first things first. And the reason our priorities are important is because for every single one of us here, as well as all of you who are watching via stream, 
is that we all have a finite amount of time, energy, and other resources. And how we choose to use these resources is largely based on our priorities. And so in the scripture passage that we're gonna be looking at this morning, what we're going to see is we're gonna see the importance of priorities. And we're gonna see that for the people of God at this time in their history, their priorities were completely messed up. And so what God did was that God sent a prophet named Haggai to them. And a prophet is someone who communicates God's message to his people. You can sort of think of a prophet as the mouthpiece of God. And God sent this prophet named Haggai to them in hopes that they would reorder their priorities. And so as we jump into the passage today, let's spend a few moments in prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, as we're about to embark on a new year and we can imagine and we dream and we hope that it has extraordinary things in store for us, God. And so we pray, Lord, as we're talking about priorities today, that we would have our priorities in order, that we would truly put first things first, because when we do, God, and when you are at the center of our lives, we are able to experience great things as well, God. And so show us how to do that. And we thank you for your care. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you also for everything that has happened in this past year, the good, the bad, um, the difficult, God, and everything in between, because we recognize that you use everything, Lord. And even out of the difficult things that you, cre- you are able to create something beautiful. So we thank you for that, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. And so God sent this prophet named Haggai to his people. And Haggai was somebody who lived way back in the 6th century B.C. And what was happening in the nation of Israel at this time was that for centuries, God had said to his people, I want you to stop putting all of these other things at the center of your life. And I want you to put me once again at the very center. I want you to make me the greatest priority. And he said this to them over and over and over again. But you know what? They just didn't get the message. And so finally, what God did was that he used the Babylonians, who were the world power at the time, to come and to give them a wake-up call. And so in 587 BC, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and they basically destroyed everything. And they took all the Jews and they took them 900 miles away into exile in Babylon. But then it was only 48 years later that the Babylonians themselves were conquered by the, by, were conquered by the Persians. And the Persian king at the time was a guy by the name of Cyrus. And he looked at his newly conquered land and he saw that there were all of these Jews who were living there. And so he said to them, hey, you guys don't have to live here. If you guys want to go back home to Jerusalem, feel free. And so 50,000 of them actually took him up on his offer and they went back. But a lot of them actually stayed. Because if you can imagine, that was now home to them. They had been there for 48 years. Children had been born there. People had been married there. This was the land that they were familiar with. And so a lot of them stayed, but 50,000 went back. And the 50,000 who went back, they had a lot of work in front of them. Because when they got back to Jerusalem, they had to rebuild the city walls, which were the primary line of defense. They also had to rebuild their homes. And they would also have to rebuild the temple of God, which was one of the most important things that they had to do. And so when they got back, they got to work right away rebuilding the temple. But then they hit a speed bump. Because there were also these people who were living in that region called Samaritans. And Samaritans, as well as Jews, throughout their history had had a very tense relationship. And the Samaritans didn't want to see the Jews rebuild this temple. And so they threatened them and they even sent people to Persia to lobby against their build, them building the temple. And so the Jews became afraid and they stopped building. And for the next 15 years, they didn't touch the temple. 
They did a lot of other things. They rebuilt their own homes. They raised their families, but they didn't do anything when it came to the temple. And so God sent Haggai to them in hopes that, they, that he would get them back on track. And so in the Old Testament book of Haggai, this is what it says in the very first verse. It says that in the second year of King Darius, and King Darius was the Persian king who succeeded or who came after King Cyrus. And it says that in King Darius' second year on the first day of the sixth month. And I love that the scriptures include this information because it tells us that this event that we're about to hear about, it wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't a made-up story. It's not a made-up story, but rather it actually occurred in human history. And based upon this information, we know that this event happened on August 29th, 520 B.C. And on this day, this is what God said to his people. He said, these people say, this is God speaking through his prophet Haggai to his people. He said, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And when you look at the scriptures, how God usually refers to his people, the Jews, at least in the Old Testament, is he refers to them as my people. It was a term of endearment. It's as if God was saying to his people in front of the entire world, you know these people over there? They belong to me. They're with me. They are my people. But here, as you notice, he doesn't say these people, or he doesn't say my people, but rather he says these people. And when you read that, you sort of get the sense of, uh uh-oh, I think there might be something wrong. I think these people might be in trouble. And when I was reading this, I was reminded of something that happened a number of years ago. And I remember one day I got home from work and I walked through my front door. And as soon as I walked through my front door, I just got the feeling that something was wrong. And so then I saw my wife, Robin, and I could tell that she was completely exasperated, totally frustrated. And something that you have to understand about Robin is she is one of the most patient people I have ever met in my entire life. And I like to take credit for that. I like to think that I built up this virtue in her over the course of our marriage. But she is, she's an incredibly patient person. And so I asked her, what was wrong and what happened? And she said to me, do you know what your daughter did today? (laughs) And when she said that to me, immediately the first thought that went through my head was, isn't she our daughter? And I was gonna say that, but then all of a sudden, immediately before those words came out of my mouth, thankfully, my man alarm started to go off and it was like, boot, doot, doot. And it said, do not open your mouth. Do not say those words. You do not wanna die on that hill today. And so thankfully, I didn't say anything and I kept my mouth closed. And I later found out that it had been a really tough day for Robin and that she had, it up to, she had had it up to here with my daughter. And so she was exasperated. She was completely frustrated. So in that moment, she had disassociated herself from her. So she was no longer her daughter. She was no longer our daughter, but rather she was my daughter. And the same thing was happening here because God had, was so fed up with his people So they were no longer my people, they were these people over here. And the reason why God was so fed up was the reason the people, the reason the people hadn't touched the temple was their explanation was that they didn't think it was the right time. And we have no idea what was happening in their lives at, well, we have a general idea what was happening, but we have no idea the reason why they didn't think it was the right time. Because that pressure from the Samaritans had ended years ago. And so who knows why they didn't think it was the right time. Maybe they were just really busy with work. Maybe their kids were on a travel team for soccer and they were just really busy going back and forth. Who knows? But they just didn't think it was the right time. But what they did think it was the right time for made God really angry because he said this. 
Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So apparently it wasn't the right time to build God's house, but it was the right time to build their own homes. And something that we have to understand is that God's not anti-house. It's not like he wanted these people to be homeless while they were building his temple. But there's one word that in the verse that we just read that reveals why God was so upset. And it's the word paneled. Because what these people had done was that they hadn't just built any old house. These people were living large. And what they had done was that they had covered or paneled the inside of their homes. So the ceiling as well as the walls was cedar wood. And if you've ever been to that part of the world, you understand there aren't a whole lot of trees. And so the primary building material that they use is stone. And so back then in the ancient world, if you wanted to panel or cover the inside of your house with all of this wood, you would have to travel up north, buy all the wood, ship it down, and to have it all installed, which meant it took a lot of time, energy, and money, which is why only rich people did it. But these people, this is the type of house they had built. And so they were living large and they were living in luxury while God's house was in total ruins. And what we see is that, their, what we see from this is that we see that their priorities were completely messed up. And so what God said to them was this. Understanding that this was their situation, he tells them, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways, he tells them. And he was telling them, I want you to open up your eyes and recognize, recognize your priorities. And recognizing our priorities is something that's really hard for us to do. It's really hard for me to do. And it's, it's oftentimes because oftentimes we believe that our priorities are these when in fact they're likely these. And so the question, one of the questions that I want to ask all of us today is what are our priorities? What are our top priorities? What are those things? What are those values? Who are those people who are, those, who are the most important to you? And I'm not talking, I'm not asking, what do you hope your priorities are? What do you desire your priorities to be? But right now, as you look at your life, what are your top priorities? And when it comes to priorities, I like to think of my priorities not in terms of a list, but rather in terms of concentric circles. Understanding, and you're still in the image there, I like to think of them in this way. Understanding that what is at the center of our lives, our greatest priority, what that will do is that it will radiate out. And that priority will radiate out and influence and impact everything else. And so as you think about your life, what is at the center of your life? What is that thing, that person, that value, which is the most important to you? And then what is in that second circle? And then what is in that third circle. And for many of us, if we want to identify our top priorities, all we have to do is look at our schedules and or our bank account. Because money and time are two of our most valuable resources, and how we choose to use those resources is often dictated by our priorities. And so what are the priorities in your life? What are those three, those two or three that are the most important to you? And through his prophet Isaiah, God was trying to get his people to recognize theirs. And so God, knowing that their priorities were messed up, what he said to his people was this. He said to them, hey, let's see how life has been going for you. 
since you've decided to live in this way, since you've decided to have these priorities. And so this is what he says to them. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Ever have a day, ever have a week where things just didn't go according to plan? And that you did this and you thought the outcome would be this, but it ended up being something completely different. Maybe you studied for the, you had that huge exam and you studied and you studied and studied and so you took it and you thought you crushed it, but then you later learned that you ended up failing it. Maybe you were working at that job and you thought, oh my goodness, I am doing, this is exactly the job for me and I am doing such a great job. And then your boss told you, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to let you go. And that's what happened. Ever have one of those days, ever have one of those weeks where just things didn't go the way that you expected. And that's how the Jews, well, that's what the Jews were experiencing. And it wasn't just a day for them, it wasn't just a week for them or even a few months, but this had been happening for years. And something that we have to understand is that for the Jewish people, they were largely farmers. And so they understood farming. And one of the things that had happened is that they had planted all of this seed and they expected, because they were experienced farmers, that when I plant this much seed, I'm gonna get this much of a harvest. But yet it ended up being a fraction of that. They would eat and eat and eat, and yet they would still be hungry. They would drink all of this water. They would drink and drink and drink, and yet still be thirsty. And they were wondering, what in the world is happening? This doesn't make sense. And then God explained what was happening. He said, you expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your lands. And so God used these circumstances. He used these events in hopes that his people would wake up and realize that there was a better way to live. That in having these priorities, what the outcome was, wasn't the life that they wanted, but rather they were going down a trail where they wouldn't experience everything that life had to offer. And so to stop putting, and so what God was telling them was to stop putting all of these things at the center of their lives and to put him in his rightful place, right in the middle as their greatest priority. And God did this and he also does this to us because he understands that when he is priority number one in our lives, we are able to experience more of what this life has to offer. And that's what he wants for us because he understands that when we're chasing after all of this other stuff, when we're chasing after our own success, our own comfort, our own fulfillment, our own satisfaction, our own happiness, then we'll only live a shadow of the life that he has created us to live. But when he is in the middle of our lives and he is the greatest priority in our lives, he understands that we will experience not a fleeting joy and hope, but one that is lasting, that we'll experience true satisfaction and true fulfillment, and that's what he wants for us. And Jesus also says this in the Gospel of Matthew, and that he tells us, but seek first, seek first his kingdom, meaning God's kingdom and God's righteousness, Make God your greatest priority because when you do, what the outcome will be is that all these things, everything else in life, what you'll eat, what you'll, where you'll sleep, 
what you'll wear, all of that stuff. You don't have to worry about all of that because all of these things will be given to you as well. It's a powerful, powerful promise, he says. And so now that the people had recognized that their priorities were messed up and they realized that this wasn't the best way to live, what God told them and what he said to them is that if you want to live the life that I have created you to live, this is how you can do that. And he showed them a way back to him. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So God was telling his people, you know that place up north that you got all that wood to panel your houses in? I want you to go back there. Buy more wood, bring it back. But this time, don't use it to build your own house. Use it to build mine. And in doing this, he was showing them how they could make him the greatest priority in their lives. He was showing them how they could stop walking away from them. Stop, turn 180 degrees, and start moving towards them. He was showing them basically how to repent. And repentance, maybe when some of you hear that word, it brings up negative images in your mind. You may think of a guy on, standing on a street corner with a megaphone saying something like, repent or you're going to go to hell, screaming that out. Maybe some of you might think of somebody like me standing on a stage like this, yelling out, repent, 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 in a very judgmental manner. And so when you hear that word, you may think of negative things, a negative feeling may sort of come over you. But the word repentance, when you look at it in the scriptures, is not a negative word, but it's actually a beautiful word. And what it means is, is that in some area of our lives, when we're walking away from God, what it means is to stop, turn 180 degrees, and start walking towards him in that area of our lives. And when we are walking towards God, what ultimately ends up happening in our lives is that we are able to experience greater beauty, and we are able to experience his goodness, we are experience, we're able to experience more of God's love and life. Because God is the author, he's the creator, he's the giver of all things. And so when all of these beautiful things, which means that when we're moving closer and closer to him, guess what? We're gonna experience more of this in our lives. That's what repentance is. It's a beautiful thing. And God was showing his people because they had been walking away from him for so long. This is how you can turn around and you can walk towards me and experience more of this life that I've created you to live. This is how you can put me at the center of your life. He was showing them a way back. And you know what the incredible thing about these people was, or what they did was? They actually listened. They said yes. Because if you look at the Old Testament, God war would warn his people over and over again by sending prophet after prophet to his people saying, hey, you know what? Stop what you're doing. Turn around, come back to me. But so often, they wouldn't listen. And sometimes the message that God would speak through his prophets, it would make his people so angry that they would even try to get rid of these prophets. Oftentimes that happened. But to these people's credit, they didn't do that. But 23 days after Haggai communicated God's message to them, they started working, they started working again on the temple. They dropped everything else and they started working and four years later, they finished. Extraordinary. And they came back to God. And extraordinary things happened in their lives. But something else that's extraordinary that has happened this past year has been all of so many of you who have given so generously this past year. And because you have given so generously, 
this community, us, we have been able to have a big impact, not only here locally, but also globally as well. And so for the last time in 2019, we're actually gonna be receiving our offering. And so ushers, I wanna invite you to come down to receive our offering for today. And please, note that, please know that if you choose to give today, that money will be going towards making an impact, not only here in this local area, by providing one of the things that it's able to provide is an extraordinary arts and music program to students in under-resourced schools right in our area, right in the surrounding towns. But at the same time, that money is able to go and have an impact all around the world, providing combating human trafficking in Nepal, it, could go to the, it, it goes to the Dominican Republic and providing an amazing sports camp to the children there. It goes to Kenya, uh, Haiti, all Cuba, all around the world. And so please know that when you give, that is what is happening with that money. And I think you saw in this slide, two of the easiest ways to give is by putting something in the bag or you can also text and that takes less than 10 seconds. But thank you so much for choosing to give um, and to doing that and really catching the vision of what God is doing really here and through our community. But going back to the passage, what we see is that when our top priority is something other than God, our lives are a shadow of what they could be. But when we place God as our number one priority, we are able to live more of the life that he has created us to live. We're able to experience more of his beauty, more of his goodness and kindness in our life. And maybe for some of you here, you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I recognize that God isn't the greatest priority in my life. He's not at the center of my life, and I know that. But maybe you're also thinking that when you look at your life, you got no room for anything else because it's already jam-packed. It's not only jam-packed, it's actually overflowing and it's bursting at the seams. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm already overloaded with work and family. I got all these house projects I have to do. I got my friends. I got all these things that are going on in the community. I'm coaching all of these things. I don't have any more time. What am I supposed to do? And a couple of months ago, I was struggling with something very, very similar. And so I was reminded of an illustration that provided me with a lot of clarity. And so as you can see, and maybe some of you have seen this illustration before, and I was reminded of it, as I mentioned, a few months ago, but I have a lot of things up here. But one of the things I have up here is this glass container, and I have these five rocks, these five big rocks. And so just by a quick show of hands, how many of you believe that I can fit at least three of these big rocks into this glass container? Just by a few quick show of hands. Okay, all of you do. How many of you believe that I can fit four of them in the container? Quick show of hands, awesome. Anyone believe I can fit five in them? Magically, thank you for having faith in me. I appreciate it. I see those hands. That's good. And so this isn't a magic trick, and so I'm going to put these big rocks in. I can really only fit three in. So all of you who put up your hand for three, you win. Good stuff. Great job. And so just by a quick show of hands again, how many of you believe that this container is now full? Good stuff. You guys are a smart group, not only good looking, but incredibly intelligent. And it is not full because you know what? There's always, there's room for a little bit more. And so I'm gonna pour all of these stones in here and I can fit quite a few stones in here. Does anyone now believe that it's full? Of course not, because you guys are smart. You recognize that there's more stuff up here that I wanna fit in. And so there is this sand, which I can definitely fit in. And I'm gonna start pouring this stuff in and there is room for this sand. Does anyone believe that it is now full? Quick show of hands. Nobody, good stuff. Maybe it's peer pressure, some of you. 
Of course not, because you know what? I could fit one more thing in, or potentially more in there. So I'm gonna pour this water in. Does anyone now believe that it is full? Anyone? A few of you, let me tell you, it is full. I'm not gonna put anything. I could pump some air into it, I'm sure, but I'm not gonna do anything else. And I remember the very first time that I saw this illustration, it was on YouTube. And a, a teacher was showing his class this illustration. And so he did this exactly like I did it, right, like just right this minute. And he then asked his class, what is the takeaway? What is the lesson that I want you to learn from this? And there was somebody in the very first row, sort of like you, and he immediately put up his hand and he said, hey, you know what? The takeaway of this lesson is, is that there's always more room in our lives. And so if we try harder and harder and harder, we can fit one more thing in. And what this teacher said was sort of surprising in that he said, no, that's absolutely incorrect. That is not what I want you to learn. It's actually the opposite of what I want you to learn. And what he said was this. The object lesson of this is that unless we put the big rocks into our life first, there is no way that we're gonna be able to fit them in later on. And probably for many of us, we've tried. We've tried to jam those big rocks in later. And for every single one of us here, as well as everyone watching via stream, our lives are jam-packed. And every single day, there are so many things that are vying, that demand our time, our attention, and our energy. And so our schedules get quickly filled up. And then we look around and we think, I have no time. But yet, you know what? This is so important, and this is so important, and this is so important. And so then, after our life is full, fill this up a little bit more. After our life is full, we then say, oh, you know what? I need that time for God. But we try to fit that in and we can't because it's already jam-packed. And we say, oh, you know what? I didn't spend any time with my kids in a while. And so I need to try to fit that in. And we feel like we can't because we have no room. It's already full. We look at our marriage and our marriage is, on, is, is not doing well. And we say, you know what? I need a date night with my spouse. And we try to fit that in and there's no room. And so what this illustration tells us is that unless we put the big rocks into our life first, there's no chance that we're gonna fit them in later. And so the question that I wanna ask us today, similar to the one that I asked you before, are what are the big rocks in your life? What are the most important things in your life? What are the top priorities in your life? Because we all have them. What is it for you? And unless we choose to put them in at the beginning, there's just no chance that they're gonna fit in later. And something that every single one of us, or probably most of us can do, because if your life is anything like mine, your life is dictated by your schedule. Because your schedule tells you where to go, who to meet with, how long you need to meet with that person, what to do. And so a great way that if we wanna actually put God at the center of our lives, something that every single one of us here can do is that before we fill our schedule, our calendars up, with anything else, before we put that important meeting at work in, before we put that time at the gym in, before we put family, even family time in, what if we put, if we want God to be the biggest rock in our life, before we put anything else in, we put that time with God in first? What if we did that? Because you know what, you and I know, because we've done this and I've done this, is that once that calendar fills up, there's just simply no room for those big rocks. And so what are the big rocks in your life? And what would it look like for you? And what would it look like for us to fit them in before anything else? And what we've been talking about today 
about recognizing our priorities, about realizing when our priorities are off, that that is not the best way to live, and also repenting and choosing rather than to move away from God, stopping, turning 180 degrees, and starting to move towards him. All of these things I've experienced in my life this past year. And this past week, as I was reflecting on 2018, 2018 for me has been an extraordinary year. It has been so transformational. And I never realized that this is what God would do in my life this year. Because, my, because God has just radically transformed. One of the areas that he's transformed is the life of my family. Because if I'm gonna be honest with you, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but if, because if I'm gonna be honest with you, for many years, when I looked at my kids, I viewed them not as a joy, not necessarily even as a gift, but I viewed them as a nuisance sometimes, even as an impediment sometimes for me advancing in my career, for me doing the things that I wanted to do, whether it's traveling, whether it's going out, whatever it was. That's how I largely viewed my kids. And because this was my mindset, because this was my attitude, of course it came out. Of course it impacted them in the way that I treated them, in the way that I got frustrated and quickly would lose my temper. But this past August, my family and I, we went on vacation. And on that vacation, God massively, in a huge way, he, he shifted my paradigm. And he helped me to recognize that my priorities were completely messed up. And if you were to ask me before that vacation what my top priorities were, I would have sort of given you the Christian cliche answer. And I would have told you, hey, my top priority, my very top priority, what's at the center of my life is God, then followed by my family, and then followed by work. That's what I would have said to you. But what God showed me during that time, during that vacation in August, was, that was a total lie. Because what was at the center of my life was not God, it wasn't my family, but rather it was me. And for so many years, what I had been pursuing, what I had been chasing after, what my greatest priority was, was me trying to get my own happiness, my own success, my own satisfaction, my own fulfillment, my own comfort. That was the most important thing to me. And when I recognized that was what my priority was, I also realized it made me really miserable. And not only it made me miserable, but as I mentioned, that what is at the center of our lives, it will radiate out and impact everything and everyone else. And so I realized that it wasn't only making me miserable, but it was also making the people closest to me miserable. My relationship with my kids wasn't great, especially my relationship with my son. My marriage wasn't doing well. And so one of the things that God said, hey, this is the way that you can come back. This is the way that you can experience change in your life, is that you need to make me the center of your life. And so when I got back from that vacation, I started spending time with God consistently because that wasn't happening. And I found out that after in the morning, that after I dropped my kids off at the bus stop to when I had to leave for work, I had this 15 to 20 minute window. And so consistently I started spending time with God and that time has completely changed my life. Not only me, but the relationships that I have, especially with my family. It's completely changed the way that I interact with them, the way that I love them, the way that I see them. And I was talking to my wife yesterday about this and something that she said to me was that she said to me, since August, I haven't been spending more time with them. I haven't, spending, I haven't been spending more time with my wife or more time with my kids, but what she said to me was that the quality of the time that you spend with us is completely different. The nature of the time is completely different. And even my seven-year-old understands this. And she understands, you know what? Dad's different. For some reason, since August, dad 
is different. His mindset is different. His attitude is different. And so what we're talking about today, I'm not just simply telling you this will result in experiencing, in all of us experiencing change in our lives. I am saying that this is what I've experienced in 2018. And that when we recognize our priorities, when we realize it, when they're off, it's not the best way to live. And when God shows us, hey, this is the way that we can repent, we can turn around and come back to him, that we will experience greater joy, greater fulfillment, greater life. It's when God is at the very center. And so in 2019, if you want God to be the biggest rock in your life, we as a community wanna come alongside and help you by providing you with some great resources. And one of the resources, and so I just wanna mention two today, and so one of the resources that we love for you to jump into, to take advantage of, are our groups. And our groups, the reason why we have groups is that we believe that this Christian life is just simply too hard to do by ourselves. And it's also a lot more fun when you do it with other people. And when you are in a group, you have people who are walking alongside of you, who you get to do life together with, people who will ask you the hard questions, who will encourage you, who will carry you at times, people who will pray for you, people who will pray with you, and you can also do the same thing for them. And so in two weeks, we're gonna actually gonna be having a fair out there in our lobby where you can learn about all the groups that we have, all the courses that we have as well. Because we have an incredible course called Alpha that's gonna be kicking off later in January. And it's an opportunity for anyone who has questions about the Christian faith to come ask those questions. No questions are off limits. Have those conversations and also meet some incredible people. You can also learn about our care programs. One of the most amazing communities that we have is Celebrate Recovery here. We've talked about that in the past. And so that's gonna be happening in two weeks. But another resource that we'd love for you to take advantage of that we're actually gonna be kicking off in two days on January 1st is our video blog. In that every single day throughout the entire month of January, we're gonna have a new one that's gonna be posted to our Instagram story or our Facebook page. And every single one, each one, will have, will be about 60 to 90 seconds long, and there will be a scripture passage as well as some thoughts afterwards. And someone different in our community will be leading you through that, that day. And so what our hope is, is that for every single one of us, as well as all of you who are watching on stream, wherever you are in the world, that you would get on to our Instagram page, that you would get on to our Facebook page, and every single day that we would carve out time, just three, four, five minutes, and we would watch it, and then spend a few moments afterwards just reflecting on what was said and also how it applies to our lives. And our hope is, is as we do this as a community, every day and we take these steps towards God and we really put first things first, that we would experience more of what God wants to do in our lives and not only in our lives, but also through our lives as well. And as a community that we could have a greater impact for God in 2019. And so right now, what we're gonna do to close this service today is we are going to sing a song. And it reminds us, and this song speaks to us and it tells us that when we build our lives on Jesus, exactly what we've been talking about here, when we make him our greatest priority, truly extraordinary and life-giving things are able to happen. And so let's all stand and let's sing this song together.
God, as we just sang, show us, God, how we can build our life on you, understanding that when we do, you are a firm foundation. Show us how we can place our trust in you in a greater way, understanding that when we do, as we just sang, that we will not be shaken. God, that is a powerful, powerful truth. And so as we head into 2019, God, show us how to do these things. Show us how to make you the greatest priority in our lives, to make you the center of our lives, understanding that when we do, God, that we don't have to worry about anything else, that you will take care of everything else and who you are, the beauty, the goodness, the love that radiates from you will not only transform our lives, but also transform the lives of those around us. So show us how to do that, Lord. So we thank you for your care for us, for your love for us. God, thank you for 2018. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So we want to invite you to come back next week for a brand new series, The Road Home. Also, if anyone would like to receive prayer, our prayer team will be up front. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great rest of 2018. Happy New Year, early New Year. <laughs>